0: So, this is this is new and interesting, isn't it? We're doing a podcast. It doesn't have a name yet. Maybe someone will help us come up with that. We're not, as as you're about to find out, we're not that clever. Put us together, we're even less clever. Except for this asshole. He's like the most clever person I know. And I would like you very much to introduce yourself, my friend.
1: Uh, So my name's Kane. Uh, Clever, maybe, but we'll we'll see how things go. Uh, certainly not organized, which is another thing that uh, we get even worse at when we put together.
0: <laughs> you, you know what, you're not wrong, you're, not, you're, you're really not wrong. And I, I mean, don't, uh, honestly, coming to you with the idea of, hey, you wanted to do a podcast for a few years, I have an avenue to do it, let's do it. Mistake number one.
1: <laughs> mistake number two, me agreeing.
0: It's it's on you at this point. It's out of my hands.
1: This has just been an avalanche of mistakes that have led to me staring at two files of notes in no particular order. But no, this will be fun.
0: Yeah. So so here we are uh, standing on the shoulders of great men like Dan Carland, and and absolutely going to fall on our face, and we're going <laughs> to have a great time doing it. Great great heights to fall from. Oh yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, uh, Newton was standing on the shoulders of Giants and and succeeded, we're standing on the shoulders of Giants and going to have one hell of a tumble. So, what we're going to be talking about today in the very first episode, the inaugural episode of the podcast without a name, is...
1: It's a good potential name.
0: That is a good potential name. What we're going to be talking about is the Greek League system. Now... I don't know how many of you know anything about the Greek systems or the Greek polices. And when I talk about this stuff, I'm talking about ancient Greeks, obviously. But there's a lot of information here. And we can't just leap right into the Greek uh, league systems. We need to go into a little bit of their history, uh, the Persian Wars, the establishment of polices, and that's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a lot of information. So this episode is going to be more more information-heavy, more date-heavy. than uh, some of the later ones will be, that it's just what we need to go through to lay down the framework for it. So I apologize if you're bored, and I guess the view count's going to hurt for that. But anyway, with, with, with that wonderful introduction out of the way, Kane, I'd like to absolute, pass it over to you.
1: <laughs> with that absolutely stirring endorsement, um, on top of it being a little date heavy and a little info heavy, this is also going to be uh, a bit more ephemeral. Uh, we really wanted to look into the, the league as like a system classical Greece, uh, archaic Greece has been combed over time and time and time and time and time and time time again. And that's just, you know, um, before podcasting took off, and then it's been combed over even more after that. So you really need to find something interesting to talk about. Um, But the league system, as we'll get into, doesn't really have as few things do in history, a firm beginning. So trying to find a place to stake out a firm beginning has been its own, uh, absolute, uh, has been its own challenge. In
0: Oh, you can style. use a stronger word than that. <laughs> you can use yeah. <laughs> a much stronger word. This has been one of the most challenging research projects I've ever had to do. And that includes some of the shit we had to do in college, but th- that's, okay. that's beside the point.
1: Yeah, no, there's talks about starting, you know, are we going to start with the Persian Wars? Maybe we're going to go back to the Mycenians and the Minoans. Now that's too far back. Should we do a presentation on Homer, um, et cetera, et cetera?
0: But and the answer to all those things was yes.
1: <laughs> uh, to keep things a bit more uh, contained, uh, we're going to start with a brief, like, geographical discussion of Greece, which any any textbook will take you through because. Uh, Honestly, geography, topography, soil uh, characteristics are all incredibly important to uh, history, to how things end up developing. They kind of set the contours for what's possible in any given region. And in the case of Greece, uh, they were incredibly limiting contours. Soil tended to be very poor in quality. So when they did bother to uh, settle in a given area, they often couldn't have massive populations um or had to find food sources outside of there in order to uh sustain large populations um outside these small pockets of arable land where anything could grow you have these towering mountain ranges that are incredibly difficult to pass
0: yeah i don't know Um, if how many of you have ever been to greece but it is it ideal living it's not
1: (laughs) right um And then if that's just mainland Greece, once you get to the various islands that surround the Greek world, you're just oftentimes looking at spits of marble. Um, And so, yeah, just in general, the the land conditions...
0: uh, They weren't ideal.
1: Not ideal for a
0: sprawling civilization. Which is funny in the lens that we see ancient Greece as today as these... Inspiring builders and 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 wonderful thinkers, it, it it kind of flies in the face of what you really think of them as. But it also it, it speaks really heavily to the ability to, to like the, the Greek spirit to to survive and thrive, and then become traders and and survive in this hellscape, for lack of a better word.
1: Right, and um honestly, the Greeks themselves grappled with this perception of themselves. You know, uh, Herodotus um Thucydides who are two of the historians that will be or two of the writers historians that will be talking about uh, throughout this series often looked at their own surroundings and were like
0: how ha- how how
1: did this happen
0: um <laughs> how did we get from then to now
1: and they came to have a certain um construction of themselves where they they saw their own rough uh development as what made them powerful kind of we could argue in a certain sense that they saw themselves as obviously not actual social Darwinism Darwinists because that didn't exist then but they certainly had the mentality of things were hard and that made us stronger and that made us stronger than the other which tended to be those lazy persians with their flat plains and bountiful food and gold and silver that they could just wallow in
0: greek men are strong because greek men work
1: yeah we pulled ourselves up by our sandal straps and did the hard work of turning these mountains fertile and when that didn't work we then started
0: trading and gods help us we are great it, it, there is a, there is a certain amount of idealism in there. You're 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 right, very very much. Um, not to use an American expression, but like sitting on the hill, um, and literally sitting on the hill is some of the cities were. Um, but you'd have one to. of the sorry,
1: you'd have to. There's not that much arable land. You couldn't build your city in the fertile plain. You would starve
0: yourselves. I mean, that's a big brain play right there. Um, but w- w- one of the things that uh, we're going to also have to talk about is how these cities what what we would understand as greek cities although if you looked at them today they'd be a medium-sized town um some of them some of some of them were 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 metropolises but not nothing on the scale of what we what, what we understand as today um so uh uh one of the things that's really really important to understand is the process of synoikism, and the process of synoikism, it literally means to come together um like mer- merging villages into a larger city and uh uh why this is really important, as Kane was pointing out, was that the conditions were just horrible. Almost everything about living in Greece was terrible. So one of the things that would happen is city, well, village A would be fighting with village B, but then village C is like, hey, if I side with village A, then we can take down village B. And it builds an alliance. And this is something we're, we're going to see. Um, it's it's going to be a common theme, really common, where you'll have – uh, uh, reciprocity tr- uh, treaties basically and those are going to build into larger things and a lot of the times you'll uh, out of those treaties you get common founding myths uh common uh, cultures because most of the greek peninsula spoke the same language most macedon's weird and well macedon and and illyria if i'm not mispa- if i'm not mistaken i think illyria spoke a different d- different dialect um I'm, I'm i'm not sure it doesn't really matter we're not talking about the dirty illyrians anyway so, um, what would happen here is that these common defense treaties would usually lead into, as I said, Sinoicism. And this Sinoicism led to very powerful city states, Sparta, Athens, later Corinth, uh, down the road. And one of the things that we also have to understand about Cain, uh, uh, I'm going to have to bring this up because you, 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 you wrote it in our notes page, and I, and, and I love this, <laughs> is the fact that at this time, uh, uh, when we're talking about, uh, like around the year 400 BC and and earlier, there were lions in Greece, actual lions. So I mean, when we see you know the, these European, uh, uh, okay, late Europeans full of shit, but um, the uh, the early European stuff that I that being the Greeks depicting lions and stuff, they're not that far off, really and yeah, truthfully.
1: Yeah, there were packs of lions hiding in those mountains that uh, were impossible to pass. Uh, already impossible to pass, made doubly so because you might get ambushed by lions. So, you know. a, pr- a friggin' pride of
0: lions. Um, Lion King did not happen in the Savannah. It happened in Greece.
1: Right. <laughs> um, and kind of to the, your synoicism point, it's actually really interesting how that process goes out. So most Greek city-states, um, to kind of illustrate the point, most Greek city-states would have their villages ally in that system and would build cities the way we would recognize them you know athens with its marble monuments and that kind of thing uh like legitimate metropolises that we could recognize but what made sparta different and what is uh like explicitly highlighted in some of the texts we look at is that they really kept their village structure Uh, thucydides talks about how um if you were to look if uh, you were to look at the ruins of Sparta and Athens, you would never think that Sparta had been anything great because it just looks like a collection of villages. They never took the additional step of, um, you know, making a big city out of themselves, whereas Athens would have probably seemed far greater than it had ever been because of all the marble structures that they built because they went all out to make themselves look as pretty as possible, essentially.
0: It was very opulent.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's just interesting in terms of like highlighting exactly what Sinoicism is where sparta can be considered a city but really if you had seen it at the time of uh the 6th century the 5th century the era that we're covering uh bc um it would have just looked like essentially what we would recognize as like urban sp- uh not urban sprawl but like suburban sprawl just a bunch yeah. of villages
0: very very much the suburbs i mean even even when you look at i've, I've never been to sparta but even when you, you you look at pictures of Sparta of what is now Sparta, it's still it's 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 not Athens. It, it right. it's it's not even what's left of Corinth. There it it is completely different. It, from the pictures at least and what Google Earth tells me, Street View. Um it, it's why do you need to go anywhere, right? You just have Google Earth. <laughs> yeah, Lockdown Street, me great. Um I've been everywhere. Um but uh it it it, it, even to the even now it's 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 not a rome it's although i don't think that's a fair comparison it's not a rome it's not (laughs) i'd say that's not fair (laughs) (laughs) you know it it, it's not the same thing it's still a very small town and but that's what it was always supposed to be um oh sorry
1: yeah and actually just going further from that, that kind of divide of uh, Athenian opulence and other Greek cities' opulence and Sparta's mutedness with the exception of violence um, and and their wit and their wit uh, it kind of goes in a bunch of different sources Um, so for example, a lot of our written sources are coming from the Ionian coast, which is uh, modern day Turkey the uh, coast of Turkey or what we could call Anatolia Um, Athens, Thebes, those other city-states, Sparta's writing next to nothing. I think we have a few snips of poetry, and that's all we have about Sparta from Spartan's point of view, whereas, you know, Athens is writing tons of things, and they're uh, having other uh, philosophers and poets and so on from other city-states writing things on their behalf, so they have an overwhelming preponderance on the sources. Uh, where Sparta gets next to nothing. Um, I had a third point. You're supposed to do these things in rules of three. Uh,
0: okay, it's okay. We got time. Uh, I know,
1: mean, I... so yeah. There's the written so the written sources. There's not very much. The archaeological sources. There's not very much because they kept a, a village structure. Like there's tons to find, no doubt. Uh, but it's it's no Athens um
0: it's no Thebes, it's no uh, olympus it's not it, olympia okay. excuse me
1: and in terms of coinage and that kind of stuff there's also very little to find because they just had these giant iron rods to trade around they deliberately made it not fun to keep
0: their money <laughs> hey they had a very good understanding of economics if that's the case but i think that's a great segue into the ionian coast because that's something that we we need to talk about is that what the hell was going on in Turkey that made the rise of the league system so important? Now, I know for some filthy casuals out there, it might seem really weird to talk about ancient Greece and then do some really awkward-ass segue into ancient Turkey. Well, fuck you. It's our podcast. Um, so what happened is is that there were some, as we can understand them, Proto-Greeks living in Ionia, which, as Cain described, is on the Greek. Coast, it's on the. Uh, oh man, I'm about to embarrass myself. It's not the Aegean, it's the Ionian Sea. They're on the Ionian Sea. I'm I'm. 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 I'm pretty sure about that one. I'm gonna so,
1: double check that one.
0: Uh... <laughs> He's gotta fact check me. So, um, what happened is, is that there were these small cities live uh, on the Ionian coast. Now, if you know anything about the Iliad, or Homer in general, and I'm not talking about Homer Simpson, I'm talking about Homer the writer. He he, oh, by the way, am I right?
1: Uh, give me one. There is an Ionian Sea. I'm looking at where it's located.
0: Oh, I hope I'm right because this will be bad.
1: I think you were right with Aegean.
0: No, I think Aegean... That doesn't matter. We'll, we'll come back to that. This isn't a geography podcast. It might be one day, but for now it's not. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what happened is there were these, these, these collection of cities on the Ionian coast that identified themselves very strongly with the Greeks. The Greeks basically i don't want to i don't i don't overstate here but it was it's a very complex and complicated issue and basically the persians who were in charge of the area took issue with some of with one one ionian man going from city to city stirring up shit and what he was doing is he was trying to incite revolt against the persians now the persians ran their their massive empire it sprawled from modern day um not for not almost india and afghanistan right up to right up on into turkey it it was big it it was sorry
1: i think they were in india i think they were got they in india? a bit into it yeah at least by this point um who knows what Herodotus is talking about but he seems to think that they were in india
0: okay we'll take that um so so pretty fucking big and one of the things that um is is really one thing here
1: just with regards to imperial borders, it is worth stressing that borders as a concept were kind of fluid in these time periods. Um, So, like, the official, like, hard and fast borders of Persia wasn't really a thing. There was the Persian heartland and then the variety of locations that were giving tribute and whether these tributes, like, certain tributaries were explicitly part of Persia and some tributaries were just giving tribute to Persia and sometimes you had to give troops. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of bleeding space that could go from this is definitely Persia to this is definitely not Persia.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it, 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 it is. Oh, sorry, Kane. Um, yeah. yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's a very complicated issue. And the idea of like hard lines on a map is something that's completely foreign to the, to the people in question we're talking about. It, it, like you said, it was very much this city and the space around this city belongs to this group you know back out east or something like that it wasn't they didn't they didn't actually sit down on the map maps were even that a foreign concept for a lot of people where it was uh, oh our borders extend 12 miles out this way no 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 one was actually doing that um so uh, uh basically what happened is there was um a bunch of revolts at in, in in ionia and that did not sit well with the persians and the reason is because the, the persians were very laissez-faire very hands off when it came to, to came to Turkey because it was so far away. It, it, it was so far away for them. They looked at it as we're getting we're, we're getting boatloads of cash from here. Why why screw with it if it works? So they didn't. But then what happened is freedom, you know, all that all that good stuff, and boom, boom. Uh, 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 you have some massive massive revolts, and that started the Wars of the Ionian Revolts, or just the Ionian revolt, and for some people, some historians and classes, this is the start of the Greco-Persian Wars. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. I mean, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but sure, why not? Well, for for our purposes here, it's the start of the Greco-Persian, at least conflicts.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an inciting incident. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, you have these Ionian cities, they revolt against Persia, they stop giving tribute, so Persia decides it's going to be a bit more hands-on in this region now. Uh, it can't, uh, you know, if the Ionian city-states aren't going to behave, uh, Persia's going to make them behave, and so they need to turn to get some help if they want any chance of surviving as free and independent polities. So they turn to the two powers that exist that might be able to help them in this era. It's newly democratic Athens and Sparta. Sparta has its own issues it perpetually has its own issues we'll probably get into that later oh we will uh, uh so they just flat out say no um meanwhile Athens does send uh a small fleet to help the I- to help the Ionians in their revolt and at first it's very successful they lead an attack on the city of Sardis yeah it, right it was Sardis it was Sardis uh, which was the capital of um, the satrapy of Lydia at that time? Satrapy. Satrapies?
0: But, oh, you want to say it?
1: No, you, you go for it.
0: Okay, sorry. Sa- uh, uh, satrapies are, if you think of a modern country, they're like provinces or states or or some other division of land that I'm not aware of. Basically, that's what it is. You have you you have an area. You have a satrap or a governor. They're in charge of the satrapy. Okay, sorry. Continue. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is like the regional capital for Persia. Uh, It gets completely burnt down. If I recall correctly, I believe it does. Yeah. They also burnt down like a temple or something, which really pissed off the Persians. Um, And so spoiler alert, when the Persians invade, they make it a point of burning a number of religious sites uh, throughout Greece. Um, The, the, the text we look at, Stress that as important because of religious desecrations. this was a world in which they avidly believed gods were walk- gods and monsters were walking about causing a ruckus. So this was an important stressor, even if it doesn't necessarily seem all that important to us besides like propaganda uh, utility. Um, so they burned down Sardis, they quickly exhumed. Um, Athens stops supporting the Ionians from that point on. And this is kind of attributed to, like, the fickleness of Athenian democracy, which is its own theme that permeates history. A lot of Athenians didn't like that they lived in a democracy. They much preferred uh, Sparta's system, which had a lot of oligarchical rule and had its own kings to uh, mediate the rabble, as they saw it. Uh, So Athens stopped supporting the Ionians, and then the Ionians are, one by one, crushed by the Persians. Um, some Ionians commit, some like cities in Ionia commit mass suicide to not, to not lose their freedom. Others are a bit less extreme and just leave, go and settle in like Italy or Sicily or North Africa, locations such as that. Uh, one city-state attempts to, which is located on Isthmus, attempts to sever itself from, uh, from the coast of Anatolia just to become an island. Uh, And it's stopped by an oracle who says, you know, if Zeus wanted you to be an island, you guys would be an island. And so then they just leave. And a few others just plain old submit, because it is worth stressing that the Persians, you know, from like a rhetorical standpoint, yes, you were enslaved, you were under the dominion of the Persians, but what that actually meant in effect was religious toleration, Sometimes you would have a tyrant enforced on you, there were a number of times, as we'll see in the in the Persian Wars, where they would let the Ionians rule themselves however they wanted, and occasional tribute. So, it really wasn't.
0: It's just who's collecting your taxes. <laughs> Let's be real. For, <laughs> yeah. for, for, not, not for everyone, don't get me wrong, I'm not generalizing here, but for the ones that submitted, that's what it basically came down to. Um, yeah. But in, in total, the Ionian Revolts went on for, for quite a while. It was 499 to 449 BC. So, you know, that's, that's almost that's 50 years. This is a sizable amount of time. Um, another thing I just want to stress, and I, I, it's not written in our notes, Kane, if you'll allow me this, liberty, is that warfare at this period is very, very different. It's, the Persian Wars are going to evolve again, but this is something important to understand for, for, for right now at least. You didn't go to war in the winter. You did not go to war in the winter and you went to war in the summer. And the reason is because you harvested whatever crops you you harvested, your spring crops in the spring, you harvested in the, in the fall. If, and, and, and winter's fucking cold. There's, there's, I mean, it's true. Um, So you, 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 you basically, you went on your summer vacation, you killed a bunch of people and you went home. You saw your family, um, probably lost an arm or something, and then you continued on with your life until the next campaigning season. Um, that does change with the Persian War; um, that becomes more of an all-year type of thing. But even then, we do see noticeable dips in the winters, uh, and that's going to be that's a common theme, r- r- like right up till God, mo- like it, w- it, like it was weird for Napoleon to be fighting in the winter. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, so, no,
1: even in World War One. I... At least the Russian campaigns, which I guess is understandable because it's Russia, uh, it was always surprising if something happened in the winter.
0: Yeah, it's it, it really and truthfully World War Two and maybe the Spanish Civil War, if we want to get really really technical, are re- are really the catalysts that that change that. But what well, topic for another day. The important thing to understand <laughs> is that <laughs> the important thing to understand is that warfare in at this time was seasonal. It was very seasonal, uh, mostly because clothing was seasonal and food and that was the big reason food i.e the harvest and keep warm in the winter it's 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 not worth it so that's what you would do you would siege a city for like seven years and every summer you would come back and siege the city and hope you would do enough damage to their crops that they wouldn't be able to harvest in the spring and that you eventually starve them out it it worked surprisingly but for the ionian revolts there um so in that 50year span, this is a, it's a number that's kind of surprising in Kane this might surprise you 300,000 dead. that's our estimated numbers. Jeez yeah that's a that's an insane amount because if you remember we're talking about cities here that have a maximum population of 50,000 yeah. yeah yeah like thats that's insane.
1: Um, you're just going back to your be good.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere.
1: Okay, you froze for a second. Um, going back oh, to I, your,
0: I I think I physically froze. I don't think my <laughs> my camera froze.
1: Uh, going back to your digression on uh, warfare and the nature of it, which definitely should have been in my notes. Bad me. Um, uh not only was it seasonal, but there could often be like active warfare between two entities and they're just not doing anything for a couple decades. Um, uh, you know, Persia didn't make peace with the Greek city-states when it left after its first invasion, which we will get to. I I keep foreshadowing it, but we are going to get to it in its own
0: time. Before the end of this episode, we're going to get to it.
1: Um, But there would be decades of just inaction where Darius is gathering his army and putting down a revolt in Egypt. Persia's a big place. There's always something to do. Lots of borders to be minded. Um, So yeah, there could be huge gaps of actual violence uh during long active periods of warfare and then there would be um just small but momentous fights that would like change the whole course of the war Uh, Thucydides talks about this uh in his differentiation between the era he lived in and the era that came before the Persian wars are decided by like four battles um whereas he went through cataclysmic battles every season it seemed like
0: uh, well and so had the manpower to do it
1: yeah and so this is yeah just a, another distinction to keep in mind when we try and imagine this period uh, but now to actually get to some conversation of leagues so we have this overbearing persia that's looking down on the greeks um why Could the Ionians have expected help from their fellow Greeks? There is a certain, like, survivability calculation going on where, oh, if the Ionians lose, we're next on the list. But there's also the idea of um, commonality amongst all these powers, uh, amongst all these city-states. They were independent, they were separate, but they did speak speak the same language, they worshipped the same gods, they uh, participated in the same pan-hellenic games uh, there were Pan-hellenic temples where all of them were welcome to do their worship. Um, all these things kind of created uh, a common identity.
0: I don't I don't, don't want to interrupt you, but I think you left out the biggest one of all too. like the, the absolute biggest thing the trade
1: also huge amounts of trade I thought you were, I thought you were going to say they also exercise naked all of them. And that's what made them differ.
0: Um, well, we got, we got to protect our naked brothers. They're you know, like, come on.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Who else will fight with us naked if the Persians take the Ionians? This was the, the, the most important question the Greeks were discussing amongst themselves.
0: The greatest rallying cry history has ever seen. Dicks out for Ionia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I want to make that a t-shirt. <laughs>
1: Um. Uh, lost. So there is this common framework from which uh, the Greek city-states uh, could at least communicate with each other and could expect a certain reciprocity from each other. But there is also at this time um, the big bad boy in Peloponnesia, Sparta, which was in the in the at that moment fomenting its own, like creating its own genuine league. Um, and the reason why it was creating a league kind of deals with uh, the fact that there was always shit going down in Sparta. Uh, Sparta was always busy. Sparta regularly could not go help and fight even its closest allies. And that's because it was sitting on a massive array of slaves. Uh,
0: can, 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 I, I thought of a good way of contextualizing this before, before we started filming. And I, 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 I've been waiting to spring it on you. Okay. Imagine, if you will you are big rich neighbor and big rich neighbor you has many people living on a street and you're walking down the street one day and no one's asking you for no money no one's asking you for a cup of sugar no one's asking for you to even look at them but then you look at one poor helpless emaciated boy and you realize i don't like the way his face looks so you throw him off a bridge That's the type of people we're dealing with here. I think that's a good example.
1: Right, except instead of rich, they were they just had sharp knives. Yep. Lots and lots of sharp knives. Um Sparta had a system of ruling or divided its society into three levels. Ryan, I'm gonna need your help on the terminology. I know the base layer is the Helots, which are basically their slaves. They were slaves is a bit
0: it's, it's not exact. I think a closer term would be serfs, but they were definitely treated like slaves.
1: Yeah, it's like the in-between of serf and uh, slave, uh, they were bound to the same land. Uh, they were bound to a specific plot of land, but because they were bound to the plot of land and because they were technically Sparta's property and not any individual's property, you didn't have to deal with them being traded, with families being split up, with that kind of thing. But... Uh, if any helot got uppity he would most likely die uh, and this was like legally sanctioned um, in,
0: in fact they, every uh when we were talking about the campaigning seasons sparta every year declared war on the helots
1: yeah they just they went they had a purge day for their <laughs> for their hel- helots. helots 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 i say helots
0: you say helots it's it's fine um, you say well, tomato so- i say tomato <laughs>
1: It's actually, and they also had a, a coming of age uh, tradition, which was to go out, find the strongest looking heel you could, and off him. That was your. That was your. Uh, that was a Spartan walkabout. That was uh, a Spartan prom.
0: That was um, your bar mitzvah. To,
1: to kind of. This is kind of demonstrated in three hundred, when Leonidas kills the wolf. Except if it was more realistic, he wouldn't have killed a wolf. He would have killed a strong-looking healer. That would he, would, he been... would
0: have he would have killed the hope of some helot family where they fed their they fed their strongest child, hopefully, so that he could work and make the money. And he in walks King Leonidas and just beheads him.
1: Right, and that you know, didn't even necessarily have to have revolutionary aspirations. They were just like little Bobby Brown is going to pick more corn than any other child we've ever had, and we're so proud of him. And then because he looks so strong he gets he gets killed. Um and so that was the kind of system they lived on and that was a mostly that was a system that they could run rather dynamically for a while but then they bit off more than they could chew and took over the 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 city state of Messenia which was to the west of them, I believe, in the Peloponnese. It yeah. was over a range of mountains. It was so, northwest. Northwest, okay. Uh, so it was over a range of mountains, so very difficult to get to for them. And when they took over Messenia, they made almost everyone they conquered automatically a Helot. Um, A few outbound city-states, uh, not city-states, towns and villages that were part of the city-state of Messenia, uh, became... And this is where I need your help. What's the middle stage of Spartan society?
0: I actually looked it up because I thought I knew it and I didn't want to seem like an asshole. It's the uh, Paris, um, peri... 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 Okay, yeah. Periose. Uh
1: That. Uh, which is a, a middling stage in, in Spartan society. That's where most of their craftsmen came from. They could occasionally serve as soldiers, but... If they had money uh mostly they served mostly their role within spartan society was to make stuff mine stuff that kind of stuff uh that kind of thing um so that's the three stages of of, of sparta and then the top stage is of course the spartan hoplites who
0: around killing things. yeah
1: um man, where was it going so yeah sparta ends up with this huge kingdom of slaves very far away, and culturally, it's not in. Uh, um, kind of going back to Sinoicism, Sparta culturally has a coming together attitude. Their uh, their hoplites, their Spartan citizens, stay within lacedaemonia for the most part. They have to go to their messes. That's that's how um, Spartans don't eat dinner in their home with their family. They eat with their messes, with their troops, uh, and that kind of creates a, a stronger bond amongst all the citizens. Uh, and there's like a lot of prestige in what mess you end up sitting with, kind of like high school, I suppose. You want to sit with it the gets cool very kids. Yeah, it gets very cliquey. Um, you want to bring honor to your clique.
0: Uh, I just had a Mean Girls thought in my head. Don't do that to me. Yeah,
1: Sparta is Mean Girls. Um, but yeah, so they want, and they also don't want to miss their lunch break. They want to be with their, they want to be with the boys at um, but yeah, so they want, and they also don't want to miss their lunch break. They want to be with their, they want to be with the boys at their mess, you know, shooting the shit, uh, discussing what Sheila, their, their children are going to murder or whatever. Um, they don't want to be out in Messenia. Serving as an occupation force. There's no glory in that. There's no fun in that. So, um, and this kind of results in regular, like, generational warfare with the Mycenaeans, where they'll rise up in revolt. Uh, One that took place not too far before the Persian War was the second Mycenaean revolt. It took, like, 20 years. Uh, It was a very close thing for Sparta. Um, they nearly lost it all. They, I think there was like an earthquake or something that destroyed Sparta partway through. There's just not a lot of good things happening for Sparta um, in that war, but at the last minute they take it and they're able to reimpose their brutal system. Um, Brutal's a nice word. They realize that uh, they're going to need help. If they're going to act as a superpower on the global stage to to what extent that exists to like the in within the greek world they're going to need extra firepower from their neighbors and of course their neighbors are all intimidated by them they don't really they maybe kind of recognize that sparta poses that sparta is preoccupied but nonetheless even with its preoccupation sparta still poses a threat and so a vast array of alliances start taking place with Sparta's immediate neighbors, and this becomes the framework for the first league, Uh, the Peloponnesian League. This one will continue, this one will serve as the basis for the league that defends against Persia and will continue straight through to the Peloponnesian Wars. It's going to, hence the name, um, it's going to be the league that Athens fights against, breaks away from, and then fights against, which Story for another time, um, and it continues through even
0: past the Peloponnesian Wars. So now that we have a good understanding of where the le- at least a g- general idea of where the leaks came from, I think it's a good idea to introduce our main source. You know, you're well, you're 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 a your boy. <laughs> we are very bad at this. This should have happened. Hey, I was thinking it. I was trying, but you were on such a roll. I did not want to interrupt you. It's fine. It's fine. You know, oh. honestly, it's okay. It's it's good. Now, so one of the places that a lot of this information comes from is from the man that's generally called the first historian, but I know Cain doesn't like that name.
1: The go- the grandfather of history. Okay. Um, okay. Which is, I think, acceptable because Thucydides is, does a way better job. Um. Herodotus, uh, if, if, if you guys don't know. Um, so Herodotus, I was supposed to have this written down. Um, Herodotus exists about a generation or two out from the Persian Wars, from the subject he's written about. Uh, he's still able to get first-hand accounts uh, of that war. But he wasn't an eyewitness to it.
0: Um He's also he's, writing with an agenda. That's 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 clear. I mean, every historian, even the most unbiased ones, even we, we have an agenda here. That agenda is probably to make you laugh. But um or 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 I don't know what I I don't know what Kane's planning. I I don't live in his head. I really don't uh, want to live in his head. Um yeah, you I, just I heard mean, me like
1: thirty minutes about uh uh the Peloponnesian League and, and doesn't matter. This can be cut.
0: This is bad. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So, um, uh, 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 um, crap. Lost my train of thought there. Um, right. And so, is. Uh, yeah, Herodotus is is, is is writing with an agenda, and we understand his, well, he's not Athenian. Technically, he's Ionian. Um, but he's, he's writing for an Athenian audience, or speaking for an Athenian audience, because he memorized all, how many lines was it? Like, I wasn't counting them. Uh, there's like a, l- oh, man. It's it's big. It's it's pretty big. He memorized the whole thing and he would recite it by memory, constantly. Yeah. And one of the things we don't know is what if he changed the some of the things he said depending on who was listening. So it's it's really hard to nail down exactly what has happened, but it's still a really valuable source because we can discern a lot of things from it. And some of the things we can d- discern, we can we know if they're truthful or not. For example, he writes down, as this is one of Cain's favorite moments, uh, <laughs> the hippos or crocodiles, excuse me, the crocodiles in... No,
1: it was hippos. It was hippos,
0: okay. Uh, how does he describe them? Because I love the way you do this.
1: Okay, so um, Herodotus likes to go on very long tangents, very useful tangents on what he understands about the world, and uh, he dedicates an entire book to Egypt. And while he's going through, like, an entire segment of his His history is is about Egypt Um, and he covers everything. He gives you the lineage of the pharaohs, he talks to you about the skull thickness of their people and how that compares to Persia. Uh, The Egyptians have incredibly thick skulls in case you were wondering. The sun made it so. Uh, The weak Persians wear helmets so their their heads crumble to dust after a generation. he He went to a battlefield to confirm this allegedly. Um, he discusses the tides of the Nile and why it floods when it does. It's because the sun gets very close to Egypt on certain seasons. Um, and he discusses the 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 mating habits of the fish in the Nile to to kind of give you an idea of what detail he goes into. Uh, all of this you kind of begin to realize is, he's full of shit. <laughs> he has not been to Egypt. Uh, nothing makes this more clear than when he talks about hippos. Um, the word hippopotamus comes from Greek, actually. It literally and, means
0: and, river horse.
1: Yeah, it means river horse. And seeing that word, uh, Herodotus logically deduced that um, that must mean that hippopotamuses have long flowing manes. Have hooved feet, uh, probably neigh as they as they gallop through the river. <laughs> um, oh my God! Having no idea of the terror that is a real hippopotamus. Hey, and, more people
0: die a year from hippos than lions. Just just saying that.
1: Yeah. So. So that begs the question, Greece, what is your excuse for taking so long to develop? I mean, Egypt was able to become a flourishing empire long before them, and they had to fight hippos to get there.
0: They they also have the Nile Basin.
1: <laughs> or does that just confirm the idea? Because they had a harder upbringing, they were able to uh, <laughs> to become so powerful so quickly. Uh, are the you know questions
0: I, I, we'd ask. It's a good thing we don't have a time machine. We would get speared. <laughs>
1: uh, but yeah. Herodotus as a source is incredibly interesting because he gives uh, um, is incredibly interesting and also incredibly frustrating uh, because he gives uh, an eyewitness uh, uh, a view into not only you know the histories as he calls them um, that he's discussing but also his own how Greeks perceive the world or at least how certain Greeks perceived the world when he was alive. Uh, he has a variety of interesting um to call them biases would be maybe too heavy of an accusation but points from which biases could arise so he's from the city-state of uh
0: yes he's from helicarnesis yeah
1: which is an ionian city uh city-state as was brought up earlier so probably doesn't look too favorably on the persians um he spends a lot of time in Athens. He spends a lot of time performing his histories to the Athenians uh which m- leads to certain um
0: well I mean he frames the whole thing as from the viewpoint of an Athenian, even though he's Ionian, and he always speaks of the Spartans as well not the other because they're Greek but as different they're 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 not the they they're, they're clearly not the same as you good athenians because they're fine with having a king right um he yeah uh
1: the spartans are the spartans are like the the stable superpower that already exists within greece and then this kind of showcases um uh, what's the word for it athens is really rookie of the year in uh persia in uh in his uh the histories of the Persian Wars, and beyond these, like, implicit biases of who he's performing to and where he's from, there's also explicitly stated biases. He's not writing the histories for what we would want. He's not writing the histories of the leagues, which we could then take whole paragraphs out of his book and just present and read them to you guys, and that would be the end of the podcast. Now, he wants to capture uh, the great deeds done by Greek and barbarian alike, uh, he's coming from a tradition of epic poetry. Be- being the grandfather of history, he doesn't have a history book to look to, to to copy. So he instead copies uh, the Iliad and the uh, Odyssey. And that's where he kind of frames his story around. In that sense, uh, Herodotus' is The History is, is an in-between point between uh, a text like Homer's Iliad, and Thucydides, uh, the Peloponnesian Wars. Um, And so while we may have preferred that he talked more about diplomacy and uh, geography and topography and military strategy and other such things that interest us contemporary people, uh, he presumed everyone already knew about them and just wanted to talk about the epic, cool things that people were doing. Uh, the one-liners that were given, the, uh, the, the tricks and ne'er-do and um, daring-do of the ver- variety of protagonists that he's highlighted. We don't get an understanding of the development of Athens as a naval power. Instead, we get one guy coming up with the idea, hey, Athens
0: should be a naval power. Um, and that's pretty much how it's thought of now. <laughs>
1: And that that does taint our contemporary sources. It's also worth noting that the time period Herodotus is writing in is in the middle of the Peloponnesian War, an era in which Greeks were killing Greeks while Persia funded it. So you can kind of see this story as, uh, "Hey, what are we doing? Remember this? Remember what we used to be capable of? Why aren't we going back to that? This was a better time."
0: Um, but that's a, that's also a common theme in, in Greek history as a whole in the classics, where Rome being the exception, of course, where the Greeks would always look at the structures of the ancients and be like, "Jesus Christ, we're pathetic." They, they, when they constantly would look at like the, the Palace of Carnosis, for example, they'd look at that and be and, and think to themselves, hey, "If the people before us could do this, and we're living in mud hovels, wow, right? Like it's mm-hmm.
1: every generation it, was worse off than the
0: last." Yeah um i think uh, i i think that's a good place to go into the starting of the persian wars at least i don't know i think i think we can get through a good chunk of the persian wars in 10 minutes and explaining the greek idea of the other that's that's something that's really really important to understand about the greeks is they had a very strong sense of who was greek kane you made a beautiful point before about the reason why some greeks not all jumped to help at the athenians and even then the spartans wanted to they, they 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 probably wanted to but again when you're i'm thinking of the meme with the dog where everything's on fire this is fine you know i'm thinking of that um just, just you know the the, the hellenic helmet on it yeah. um, um it, it, like i said they had a very strong sense of who was greek but that means they had a very strong sense of who wasn't with the one exception being Macedon, and that's something we're going to touch on in, in the next episode. A little bit. Not, not, not much, just, just a little bit, because it's also important to understand where Macedon fits into this giant puzzle. Um, so, knowing who is and who isn't Greek is super, super important, because as Cain kept bringing up, Herodotus was saying, like, oh yeah, the, the Egyptians are like this, where and then the Persians have soft skulls um, or, or weak skulls. So, what happened is you, you, you get this overwhelming feeling of, yeah, I may hate, uh, if I'm a Spartan, I may hate those, uh, those, the, those Athenians you know, across, the, uh, across the isthmus of Corinth, but they're Greek. Right. But they're Greek. And they speak the same language as me. They, 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 they believe the same things I believe. We, as you said before, we participate in the same games. We're we naked. the 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 number one thing that greece has given to us is naked combat it's ideal um and just look at their statues (laughs) perfection (laughs) um
1: but yeah kind of jumping off that point so we started with a discussion of the nebulous beginnings of um of um of the leagues Uh, taking place in Sparta but what really concretized it what really turned it from just being Sparta's weird geopolitical way of staying relevant uh, was the Persian invasion suddenly you have this barbarian other that's posing an existential threat um, to all Greeks and this this common Greek identity kind of caused a certain uh, reverberation of like familiarity who knows how much this actually happened, this may just be Herodotus making a connection, maybe many Greeks thought it, but you suddenly have this enemy in the east that the Greeks need to unite around to defeat. This echoes um, the Trojan War, which they begin to, which is another time where the Greeks united to fight a common enemy, and so this kind of creates this, uh, puts it in the cultural imagination that the greeks can just unite to fight an enemy they can put their differences aside they can have a common bond to fight against this clearly defined other this other that wears clothes when they fight this other that uses bows uses bows instead of fighting uh with their spears and shields like a like a like a man uh that is effeminate as opposed to the more masculine greek uh all these different constructions get made to separate and elevate the Greeks amongst each other and so this kind of gives on top of the existential threat uh, uh, a permission for the league structure to take place and is something that kind of makes the league structure different from other just plain alliances between different city-states. Or between different political entities
0: no that's a that, that, that's an excellent excellent point i mean hell the word barbarian comes from how the greeks understand the persians talking i'm not even sure the word that it's based on but it, it, the, the persians uh, the greeks would always hear the word barbaroy coming from a barber excuse me barber and they took that as barbaroi, and then they just barbarian that's what the, that's where the word comes from so barbarian just literally means other that that, that, that that that's all it means it means someone from someone who is not us right
1: and it's worth stressing uh when herodotus wrote his book that he wanted to highlight the glories and good deeds of both the greeks and the barbarians it doesn't have the loaded negative connotation per se or didn't um uh, that we have today of of that term the barbarian was just the not greek they were equally capable of being epic they were just under the yoke of the persians and that was for the case of the Persian Wars and what makes the league system so prominent in the Greek imagination, um, under, under Persian Imperium, you were enslaved. The Ionians were under the yoke of the Persians. They were oppressed. If you were in the Greek League Alliance, you were free. Obviously, just ask a Spartan there
0: look, look at how much they're loving their freedom, having war declared on them. Every fucking summer.
1: Look at how freely that helot is having the dagger shoved into his stomach.
0: His face being pushed into the mud by the sandal of his Spartan overlord. That's ah, how great it is to live in Peloponnesia.
1: A sandal of freedom
0: crushing his <laughs> face. Don't, oh my god. Don't, don't worry, Helots. Freedom's on its way.
1: Uh, it kind of is that uh american uh that meme of America dropping democracy onto other countries it it, it kinda it rings that way in a certain sense
0: i mean we're we're kind of forcing it too but yeah it 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 really does um and but that's another thing too and it's really easy to see how these overwhelming numbers force these groups that that don't necessarily like each other but can identify that well we're both against this and and even then it's more than that it it, it, it's not the Allies and, and the USSR in World War II. It's more than that. It's, it's you are my brother. I am going to help you. I may disagree with you from time to time, but you are my brother. And I know I'm jumping ahead here, but we can see that after the end of the Peloponnesian War. Spoiler alert, Sparta wins. Um, and I just started the book, man. I'm sorry. Um, and we can see that the uh, the Spartans are really uncomfortable with the idea of Sparta absolutely destroying destroying Athens. And their argument is that, no, they're Greek, they've done good things, leave them be. We've won, that's the end of it. Well, that's the end of it type of thing. Um, so yeah, the, the, this whole idea of we're Greek, they're Greek, we're all Greek, my headphones just went crazy, Is mm-hmm. it, it really permeates through the whole thing. And it's really interesting to see how they come together in the face of this overwhelming enemy and anyone who's seen the movie 300 i'm i'm not gonna lie i haven't seen it i don't plan on it um any, anyone who's seen that will, will at least be familiar you're shaking your head man
1: <laughs> you should check it out it, it just for comparison's sake okay. it's so fun
0: okay i believe i, I believe it. i believe it. um so um but it, will, you'll at least be somewhat familiar with what what was going on by the way it wasn't 300 spartans it was 300 spartans plus plus six thousand allies Granted, it was the most trusted allies, of the Greeks, and they sent what was it, over over twenty thousand back to Athens because they realized we're we're fucked.
1: Um, to actually like that. to do to to discuss that more broadly, but still get it done quickly because I know we're we're pressed for time here. Um, so, uh, just so that we keep a running narrative going, uh, Sardis gets burnt down. Remember that forty minutes ago. I we were do. Going back uh sardis gets burnt down um the persians are very upset about that one of their temples gets burnt down i keep stressing that and i'm not entirely sure i probably should stop doing that but let's just let's just say it happened herodotus invented enough stuff what's what's one more thing
0: i mean he Uh, invented literal friggin' river horses so uh
1: sardis gets burnt down temple gets burnt down persia's upset they crush every ionian city-state that they can get their hands on which is all of them um but athens gets away and darius knows uh, darius who's the emperor of persia at this time
0: before uh, Xerxes,
1: knows that persia uh, knows that athens um you know got away contributed to the 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 ionian revolt and then left and intends them to not get away with it scot-free but he has a bunch of other things to deal with for a bit. His, his whole empire needs him. There's revolts going on. So he has to go deal with those revolts. But he has a slave picked for him explicitly to remind him every single day of what the Athenians did. Because Athens is such a tiny city-state, why would he know it otherwise? Um, at least this is, again, what Herodotus tells us. I think it's fun. We'll keep it. Um, and so eventually, it sounds good. eventually he deals with what he has to deal with. And creates a small expeditionary force to make the Greeks bend knee, or uh, more explicitly to the, the symbols that existed in that time, to give them uh, earth, and, earth water. and water. Yeah. Uh, so they march through the Greek world, collecting earth and water. Uh, they have to fight a few battles. Athens and Sparta do agree to an uneasy alliance in this case. Um, did I say Athens and Sparta? Yes, you did. Okay, cool. I thought I for a second. I said Athens and Persia. Um, don't
0: worry. Don't you're good. Keep going.
1: Athens and Sparta allied each other. It's an uneasy alliance. It's a tenuous alliance. Uh, it ends up happening that at this great battle at Marathon, Athens stands alone against Persia. Now, this isn't an overwhelming Persian force. It's just an expeditionary force. It is readily defeated um, through a bit of luck, a bit of conniving, and a bit of strategy.
0: Also you surprising, heavy infantry does really well against unarmored men
1: that's that's true that does help shocker the persians retreat to their ships and attempt to beat the athenian army to athens to take it over um there is this miracle march in which the athenians march day and night who knows how it happened herodotus doesn't go any into any details the asshole um and by some miracle um the athenians beat the persians to athens and are there to stop the persians from disembarking so the whole expedition ends and that's the first persian war shortly after sparta arrives to help um the bastards and, <laughs> athens is like you guys are late and they're like yeah well you know helots we had to put them down <laughs> we had they to do- put them in the kennel before we left <laughs> they're, do- they're doing hell at things <laughs> um and so Athens is like, now the war's over. We won. Sparta doesn't believe them. Athens shows them the battlefield. The Spartans are duly impressed. Um, it's worth noting that Athens is newly democratic at this point. I brought this up a bit earlier, but Herodotus stretches th- stresses this because he believes that while under tyranny, Athens underperformed as a city-state. It was just a middling city-state. But because it was free, be- and this kind of deals with the theme of the broader story of free Greeks versus enslaved persians because athens was free because it was the pinnacle of freedom it could suddenly punch way above its weight because they all felt that they had a duty to the city so darius is pissed off that his small expeditionary force got rebuffed but he's not worried about it he's the freaking emperor of, of persia and he plans to really show the the greeks what he's capable of begins gathering a massive army but then egypt revolts and he has to go deal with that
0: thankfully um, he built up a massive army that's <laughs> thankfully funny. he had that ready
1: <laughs> he just had to turn it around
0: and, uh, i mean uh, or or is this more like a uh, damn i was saving my money for a new bike but i really but i really need food this week
1: yeah it, it was more of that um especially with his time wise because he goes to egypt this ends up taking the rest of his life uh darius dies he can't do it xerxes comes to the throne and he's like i'm gonna do that thing that dad wanted to do um and so he continues gathering this massive force. Herodotus claims that it's 5 million men strong. I think Zack Schneider says it's a million men strong. Um,
0: I'm, I'm going to go with the safer bet under 500,000.
1: Yeah, uh, most historians say probably 180,000.
0: Yeah, I um, mean, it's, it's hard to say. I'm just going to say under 500,000.
1: Honestly, even 500,000 would Is be it's... a tight. Panic force.
0: Oh yeah, that's insane.
1: Um, Athens, the city of Athens at its height, I think had something like forty thousand people in it.
0: Yeah, no, that's that 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 is enough to drink rivers dry.
1: Yeah. Um, which consequently is what they're uh, uh, attested to have done on I multiple occasions. <laughs> um, and honestly, this is this is awe inspiring. This is impressive. This is duly epic. Herodotus definitely wants to take note of this. But it's also kind of stupid. As we uh, have, as we described at the opening of this, Gr- Greece is not a particularly fertile area. It, it can't really support an additional 100,000 to 500,000 people. Um, this is just not great logistics. So in order to do this, um, Xerxes needs to keep his fleet very close to him and he needs to march very close to the coast in order to get regular resupplies because he's he's rivers are going dry he can't even there's not even enough water
0: he can't he also can't be screwed over by people that are letting them pass Let letting him pass through his land with his army Macedon. on right um
1: and the issue with keeping this fleet constantly resupplying him and because of, i had to speed through i forgot to mention earlier there's a naval catastrophe that makes uh a prequel to the first invasion impossible there was supposed to be a naval invasion it got crushed um Darius tried again that got crushed and now Xerxes is trying with his massive fleet and his massive army in the opening stages of that war there's another storm which does massive damage to the Persian fleet Uh, it seems as though the gods really don't like the Persians uh hubristically going beyond Asia Asia is supposed to be for the Persians they're not supposed to also have Europe. Um, but they're trying it anyway. Uh, there's this naval disaster. A bunch of ships are destroyed. Xerxes mo- walks down to the famous pass at Thermopylae, which you brought up. There were 300 Spartans, as well as a variety of other people there to help.
0: Um, Still epic.
1: They fight for a couple days. They're betrayed by the Thebans, who really don't come across uh, well in, I think it was the Thebans, it may have been someone from Boeotia.
0: No, I'm Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was the Thebans. It was a, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Theban, uh, um, what's the word, Uh, uh, shepherd, Shepherd, thank you.
1: Yeah, Uh, something to that effect uh, shows uh, a way around the Greeks so that they could be flanked. Uh, When it becomes obvious that their position is no longer tenable, everyone except the 300 Greeks Uh, The 300 Spartans retreats, and the 300 Spartans fight to their death. The reason they do this is because it's a a staple of Spartan lore that um, you do not retreat. You you stay at your post. Um, Probably a little dumb.
0: A Uh, little? I mean, Spartan mothers would send their children off to war because they would be the one to present them with the hoplon shield. And they would tell their children with it or on it. So, you're coming back exactly. with your shield, or you're dead on it. <laughs> like, eh.
1: yeah. And there are a few Spartans that survived this battle uh, for, for a variety of like, unlucky reasons. You know, one of them is running a message. He gets back, and oh my God, they're all dead. So, he goes home and tries to plead for his life. And they're like, no, you've dishonored yourself. You should have died with them. And he's like, but I was doing something else. Um.
0: King sent me over here, but the whole the whole point is that 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 is that is something that's ingrained in the ethos to this day. Where the Spartans get a, in my opinion, an, under, an undeservedly badass uh, reputation. Don't get me wrong, they, they they are like you know mythical warriors, but they're not on the level that everyone puts them up to be. And maybe we'll 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 get into that. But for now, one of the things that's really important to understand is that after this battle, the Persians kept pushing on. It it they, they didn't leave. They they kept pushing right to Athens, and this is where we get the big, big, big climax of the war. Thermopylae was not the climax. The climax was the siege of Athens.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's worth noting, um, this is considered like the staying action. It's an inconclusive action on both parts. uh, There's a parallel sea battle that takes place at Artemisium. Yep. Artemisium. Both the Greek fleet and the Greek army really does well, but because of uh, certain circumstances, they're forced to retreat. So technically, it's a Persian victory. Uh, The Persians then move on down into Athens. Uh, Athens realizes that its entire kingdom is no longer tenable, so it has to retreat. Um, And this is kind of where the league system as it exists uh, becomes important. Greece, uh, a- Athens takes to its ships. The entire city-state is either evacuated to the island of Sal- Salamis.
0: Sal- yes, Salamis.
1: Salamis. Salamis. salamis, salamis um, <laughs> Baloney. <laughs> uh, so they evacuate to either a tiny island or are all on their fleet. Um, and then this is where the dichotomy of uh, the Spartans with their army and the Athenians with their fleet really makes it becomes most apparent. Um, The Spartans want to retreat to behind uh, a wall that they've built, cutting off Peloponnesia, which is this like outcrop of land where Sparta exists. There's a very narrow spit of land uh, near about Corinth uh, that is very easily cut off, so uh, they could stop the, the Persian army from getting there. But Athens is quick and often repeats that Persia also has a fleet, and if you if you if you do not if you don't act offensively to retake Athens, we will leave you, and you will be victims of the harrying from the Persian fleet. The Persian will be able to land marines anywhere on Peloponnesia, essentially. So, Persia uh, Sparta can't hide behind its wall because it needs Athens to stay and fight. Uh, Showing Sparta
0: a- didn't even have walls,
1: right? Uh, yeah, um, showing Athens' utility. Um, there's a um, huge naval battle at near Salamis, uh, where the Persian fleet is takes a savage beating and is forced to retreat to an island in the Aegean. Uh, Xerxes is, is like sitting on the shore watching this defeat happen, uh, realizes that he has massively overexerted himself. The cost of this campaign is unnecessarily large. So he leaves for the winter. He takes most of his army. He leaves allegedly 200,000 um, with his lieutenant in Greece to finish the war for him. Most likely it was like 20,000. If that. Maybe less. Um, and then they all take the winter off because this is seasonal warfare. Um the next year, uh, the, the Persians again try and woo the Greeks to, to take the yoke. Um, Persia offers to completely finance the reconstruction of Athens in any way they want, if they will just give um, – uh, I keep wanting to say bread and water. It's earth and water. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think this is itself pretty interesting. Uh, From the Greek perspective, their idea, like we in our nation state oriented world kind of worship the land we stand on. The land is the country to a large extent. If any land is lost, this is considered a personal loss. At this point, Persia had Athens for, for all intents and purposes. It just didn't have the people. And in the Greek imagination, that's where the value was. Greeks had no problem yeeting out of their city, going to, like, somewhere on the coast of Italy and setting up shop there and just, like, moving around to that extent because the polis was in the people. Um, So uh, the Persians, again, try and woo the Athenians back on side because they realize their fleet kicks ass and they want that. Um, The Athenians say no. There's a massive battle at a place called Plataea, the Persians are finally defeated. They retreat as much as they can uh, back to, like, they they are kicked all the way out of the Greek lands. They go all the way back to Asia. Uh, Macedon is freed. Northern Greece is freed.
0: Ionia is free.
1: Uh, Ionia is free. Sort of. There, There is, like, that becomes tenuous. But, it's kind of like a
0: buffer state.
1: Um, but yeah, it is mostly at this point freed from the yoke of the persians i think this is where we should stop the narrative And i think the uneasy middle zone up to the piece of uh, calais the piece of calais can we can discuss next episode
0: yeah that sounds like a great idea to me so today in our first episode of untitled podcast we've gone way deeper history podcast yeah entitled history podcast we've gone deeper than i I initially expected to uh i i I hope you feel satisfied with 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 how this has gone because i feel i i I love this i think this is great
1: i covered everything i wanted to say i didn't realize just how long it was going to be i deeply apologize to whatever audience is listening next time i swear i will keep it to 60 minutes
0: (laughs) it's all good it's all good so uh, I hope you've enjoyed this ride. So from Kane and I, is there any last words you want to say?
1: Uh, just I want to apologize
0: again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope that you'll join us again next time. And I hope you learned a great deal because Kane and I both learned that Parmesan is very stinky. Bye now.